Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion Podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. I've written in the current Spectator about the Palmarians, a secretive network of far-right quasi-Catholics with their own pope, cardinals and saints in a fortress-like cathedral on the Andalusian plain. They feature in Dan Brown's new thriller, Origin, but he didn't invent them. They exist in real life. He gets some things wrong. He says they canonised Hitler. That's not true, but they have canonised Franco and hundreds of other right-wing saints. They wear the most gorgeous vestments. More bizarrely, they believe Mary is present in the Eucharist and that there's a planet of Mary inhabited by angels who will appear at the apocalypse. Writing this piece got me thinking about fringe religions generally and their political significance, which I think is actually going to grow in the environment of the 21st century, the very unstable environment of the 21st century. I'm joined by Tony Trowbridge, property developer, aide in the Fraser government of Australia and general fount of information on the byways of 20th century history. Also, and I'll explain why this is relevant, also served briefly in Vietnam. We forget that the Australians were in Vietnam. It was Quite actually while, very briefly, it was wasn't it? Not an enormous numerical contribution. No, but your, your own service was fairly brief. Four and a half days directing traffic outside our base in Phuc Thuy province. <laughs> it doesn't sound very dangerous. You'll be surprised. Some of those scooter drivers had no road sense at all. Okay, <laughs> maybe it's not a surprise that you don't feature in Ken Burns' magnificent Vietnam series that's on at the moment, which I'm finding completely gripping. Actually, it's just finished. But somebody who does get a passing match in the Ken Burns series is Archbishop Thuc, Archbishop of Hue in Vietnam, whose brother was the assassinated President Diem of South Vietnam. Now, actually, it was Thuc who later ordained the first Palmarian Pope, a bishop, who then called himself Pope Gregory. Now, he wasn't a pope, but in, in Catholic terms, he was a validly, if illicitly, ordained bishop, and that caused all sorts of problems. But thinking about it, that whole Ken Burns series really doesn't pay very much attention to the significance of Catholicism in Vietnam, does it, Tony? Well, it's been airbrushed out of history, hasn't it? It's not in anyone's interest to recall the role of the Catholics. They were perhaps 20-25% of the old South Vietnamese population. They were the hardline resistors to Ho Chi Minh's regime. But no one has any reason to remember them. You're right. Funny enough, we hear more about a much more fringe religion in Vietnam, the, the Cao Dai, who a syncretic sect, enormously elaborate ceremonies and a psychedelic cathedral that has to be seen to be believed, but they're a mixture of Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, I think touch of Islam, but they have a Pope and cardinals and their own saints who include Victor Hugo, oh, and Julius Caesar. But they wielded some sort of influence, didn't they, Tony? They had influence to protect and, you know, you rather disparate political culture, they probably wielded influence out of proportion to their numbers. They were tightly organised. The French always gave them a lot of leeway. They rightly imagined that they didn't have much of a future under a secular communist regime. So for a while, they were players. And they had commercial interests as well. Well, to put it mildly, yeah. it was a very corrupt society and they would have been in the A-League for corruption. OK. As I say, we underestimate sometimes the influence of sex and, and the way that religion and politics can intermingle, particularly on the fringes. Another example, 
from the 19th century is the followers of Louis Réal. He declared himself to be a, a divinely ordained prophet. Actually, he was quite a significant Canadian politician, one of the, really one of the founders of Manitoba. Well, he, he represents, uh, or the real rebellion represents perhaps the only exciting bit of Canadian history after independence. It's a very dull country, was then, is now. <laughs> okay. And inevitably, the few acts of violence or insurrection, you know, it's as close as they can get to Little Bighorn or whatever. Okay. Well, I mean, his, his followers were Metis, who were a mixture of Cree, Ojibwa, French Canadian, Scottish, and English. Yeah, but only... ba- basically French and, and Indian. Yeah. It's uh, a very rare example. Although the mixture of white and native, as it were, south of Donald Trump's wall is pretty much accepted as the norm. Otherwise, in North America, it's unheard of, isn't it? The idea of having their own state seems bizarre in the extreme. There was absolutely no intermarriage, interbreeding between Americans and Indians. Yes. Um, But uh, they had their own state and it possibly could have survived. It was primitive, but not hopelessly backward. They were good fighters, good horsemen, agriculture pretty primitive, and Catholic, crucially. They were Catholic, which is why, actually, when Louis Réal declared himself to be a prophet, started calling himself David, and then announced that the current pope was illegitimate and that another Canadian prelate should take his place, actually, a lot of his Catholic support peeled off. But nonetheless, it it does illustrate the way that uh, small religions get politicised and can become important in themselves, you talk about having your own state, and of course I immediately thought of the Mormons, who were one of the most colourful, syncretic religions of all, you know, ended up with their own state once they'd agreed to renounce the, the practice of polygamy. But before that, had an enormous army, didn't yes, they? Yes, absolutely. Independent yes. army. But of course, it's worth remembering that the Mormon leaders prospered, whereas uh, Paul Riel got hanged. He did, he did. <laughs> That's true. Although, you know, Joseph Smith was assassinated. But nonetheless, yeah. was it before the Civil War they had the second largest army in the United States? Uh, well, of course, they had no real professional army at the time, except yeah. for fighting uh, Indians or whatever. So to say that they had a large force by American standards perhaps wasn't saying much. But they much. were good at yeah. it. They, yes, they, they, they were, they, they yeah. Were good at it. But it was sometimes proposed that an expedition against the Mormons could have a unifying effect on the country in the last days before the Civil War. But then, fast forward 40 years after that, and you have a Mormon-run state, a full state of the Union, controlled entirely by themselves, prosperous, successful. High birth rate? <laughs> Funnily enough, yes. Wonder why that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Polygamy helps. Yes. Yeah. And successful in all, all sorts of spheres. I mean, my goodness, the number of Mormon professors at Harvard Business School. Extraordinary, isn't it? And yet, from the point of view of conventional opinion, their, their beliefs are extraordinarily bizarre. Which is why we shut our doors in their faces when they come round. I actually find Jehovah's Witnesses are much more of a challenge. And then this is yoked together with a cosmology, because... Mormons don't like to stress this point, but actually they're not really monotheists. They believe that everybody has the potential to become a god themselves with their own solar system. I may have got that slightly wrong, in which case you can be sure that their press officers will be onto us. But nonetheless, they do believe that every soul has the ability to acquire a sort of divinity, which makes, shall we say, Catholic-Mormon ecumenical dialogue, which has been attempted, (laughs) a little bit tricky. So, you know, we come to the Palmarians. Now, they're not historically a tremendously significant entity, though they're remarkably colourful, but there certainly is 
political allegiance there. Not Nazi, as Dan Brown suggests. I think rather cynically. I mean, he'll say it's just fiction, but I mean, the fact is he's either lazy or he's... I don't, I don't It annoys me he's picked that one up because they didn't canonise Hitler. But they did canonise Franco and... Who was the other guy they canonised? Bianco, was he called? Oh, yes, Admiral Curio Blanco. Right, now, what happened to him? He got blown up in his car. Right. Uh, shortly before uh, he was Prime Minister yeah. and presumed to be Franco's successor. He's blown up by the Basques in about 72, 73. Right, right. Well, they canonised him. It's a reminder, of course, the vast majority of Spanish right-wingers have nothing to do with the Palmerian church, whose source of funding remains, I, I think, a mystery to this day. It is enormously shrunk now. But it's a kind of a, a, a reminder that the deaths of Franco's supporters, Franco's coalition supporters, are are regarded as sort of martyrdoms by right-wing Spanish, aren't they? I mean, we hear so much about Republican heroes of the Spanish Civil War, but I think we do forget the extraordinary violence against the Catholic Church that was committed by... Absolutely, and the extraordinary religiosity of the Nationalist Crusade. They, as a stroke, created four field marshals in 1938, and one of them, interestingly, was the Blessed Virgin Mary. (laughs) Really? Okay, that's a nice idea. That's a yes, nice uh, Hitler was rather unimpressed when uh, <laughs> word got to him of this. I think going back to the Palmerians and going back to the Caldai and, and uh, Louis Riel and, uh, and all the rest, there are so many of them. There's a certain fun in starting your own religion, I think. And Beyond so, question. You know, I have a theory sometimes that you know what begins as a joke can actually almost take off. I think you remember this years ago. A retired school teacher I, I came across was he was besotted with some sort of eccentric Irish woman and he effectively deified her, started treating her as a living goddess without her permission. She was called Sarah and you heard them as well, these jokes about the Sarah Astrian church. I was never sure how serious With only one member. With only one member, but I was she came from Weybridge and people started talking about the holy city of Weybridge, and it was never entirely clear whether this was all an elaborate joke directed at this man or whether actually he was trying to found his own religion. But I just felt it was it was a little bit of a glimpse. You know, it's a sort of train spotting with divine intervention, isn't it, I suppose? But as I say in the piece, I think there's going to be more of this, not less, as time goes on. We've assumed that religion will die out, been proved wrong. Uh, we assume, especially the eccentric Fringe religions will die out. I think they will absolutely thrive as, as the main religions become more and more like, you know, local branch of Department of Work and Pensions. There's much strangeness to come, don't you think? Here's a random point. People are drinking less. The big brewers no longer make the profit that they once did. But craft brewers and people who make craft gin and the like are expanding hugely. Numerous little firms. Yeah. This has something to do with the new economic shape of the 21st century, arguably, and it's perhaps similar to... Oh, I see what you mean. There's an analogy. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Well, you could argue, perhaps, that just as people might want gin made precisely to their tastes with more botanicals or whatever, so in respect of religion they might want a creed which is fashioned according to their particular requirements so they want the music to their taste they want healing they perhaps most of all want social and political opinions that suit them so effectively we're moving toward a sort of bespoke religion couldn't agree more tony trowbridge thank you very much